This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Joining us today is Dr. David Black, the CEO and Chief Psychologist for Cortico. Dr. Black earned his PhD from the University of Georgia and leads a team of highly experienced psychologists serving more than 200 public safety agencies. Dr. Black is a board member of the National Sheriff's Association Psychological Services Group and serves on various other public safety boards and advisory groups. Dr. Black is partnered with the California State Firefighters Association to help strengthen firefighter mental health and well-being. Dr. Black, thanks for joining us today. Can you share a little more of your background and give us kind of that 10,000-foot look at some of your areas of focus related to firefighter awareness uh, for behavioral health and mental fitness? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chief. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you here today. And so I'm trained as a clinical psychologist, and I've been working with firefighters and other first responders since about 2002. I was actually inspired by uh, the response of firefighters and other first responders to 9-11 to shift my focus and devote my attention and my professional efforts to helping them. And I'm very passionate about it. And I'm, I'm the type of person I work seven days a week nonstop. Uh, I view the heroes on the front lines as the people that I respect and admire more than anyone else in the world, uh, putting themselves in harm's way, responding to everyone else's emergencies and doing the most noble and important work in our communities every day. So some of my concerns are that firefighters enter the profession as true specimens of psychological health and resilience. Um, the average person on the street can never do the work of a firefighter. They're not tough enough. They're not resilient enough. They're not strong enough. The people that go into this profession are, are great specimens of mental health when they enter, but they're exposed over the course of their career to countless tragedies and traumas. It's ongoing. It's never ending. And these take an enormous toll over time. Uh, and that often takes the form of post-traumatic stress, depression, suicidal thoughts, alcohol abuse, and family uh, problems. So my mission is to help as many firefighters and their families as I can possibly, and to do that on as wide a scale as possible uh, with a focus on awareness of mental fitness and behavioral health issues and how to prevent, treat, and how to be innovative so that we can address these issues at scale nationwide. That's great. I really appreciate your your reflection on 9-11 and how that inspired uh, you to shift gears, if you will, in that psychological work. At, uh, we, we as a service, uh, thank you for that, and I'm sure we will uh, benefit greatly over time. From your perspective as a psychologist, and now that you've spent the past uh, 18 years or so working in this arena, what is it that you believe makes it so hard for firefighters to feel comfortable asking for help with mental or behavioral health issues? It's a major problem. Um, and there's there's basically three layers to it. Uh, the second layer is the one we talk about the most, so that's the stigma layer. But the first layer of it is that the job is enormously stressful. And because we have such tough, strong people doing this work, they just absorb a lot of that stress in a very stoic way. And they're surrounded by the, all these other very, very strong people doing the job. Um, and so we don't 
do a very good job of preparing fighter, firefighters for the, that aspect of the work. We teach firefighters how to save lives. We teach them how to fight fires. We teach them how to do all these other things to keep their communities and, and families safe and secure. But we don't teach them how to deal with the emotional consequences of the work. So that's the first piece. It's a very, very stressful job. Second piece, then, is there, there's a stigma in the profession. And it says you can't get help for emotional problems. And anyone in the fire service or around the fire service or married to anyone in the fire service uh, knows this is the case, that you're supposed to be strong and capable at all times. This makes it very difficult for firefighters to ask for help. Uh, there's a sense of shame and often a fear of losing the job. And when I go and speak to firefighters anywhere in the United States, I say, what's the one thing that would keep you from getting help if you needed it? The answers are always around confidentiality and the stigma issues. So that, that's a major problem. And then lastly, most firefighters nationwide still don't have high quality emotional and behavioral health pro uh, programs available to them. Um, so even if they were taught and equipped to deal with the stress, and then even if they got past the stigma, uh, the tragedy is that many of them would find that there aren't actually good resources available to them. And what happens is in, in many fire departments, there will be someone who has tried to get help or multiple people have tried to get help. And if there's strong resources available, that information will filter back through the department inevitably over time. And those, re those resources then grow by reputation. But the, the, the same thing happens when those resources aren't strong. When they call an EAP line, they're put on hold, they're given a long list of referrals to people with no expertise dealing with firefighters, then that tends to trickle back uh, through the system as well. And people are aware then that there aren't high quality resources available for them. So um, of all of these, these are things that we can address. Um, you know, we, we can address teaching firefighters about the stress of the job and how to deal with that. We can address uh, the stigma in the profession. That's something that we can all do every day to help smash that stigma. And then we can all take a stand to demand higher quality resources for our nation's heroes because that's what they deserve. When, when you've got this group of people nationwide united by the fact that they're there for everybody else on their worst day in their most dangerous circumstances, I think we can all step up and say it's important that we have high quality resources available for them in their times of need as well. Yeah. And, you know, the thing, the three things you just said, absolutely. Have I seen those over my 39 years in this business? Uh, all three of those consistently come up as a discussion when um, when we talk in different ways. Those three things, that's really the roots. So um, no, I appreciate you sharing that that's that's experience that you've actually seen from a practitioner perspective. What what guidance can you give our listeners, uh, especially the supervisors who you know are we charge with uh, watching our folks, but especially for them, how can they both help? raise awareness and how can they raise their own awareness to ensure that those who need help actually get help? So I think everyone in the fire service needs to take it upon themselves to recognize there is this stigma and that stigma is really life-threatening for firefighters and this gets at the suicide risk if things are left unaddressed long enough but it also gets at marriages being impacted, it gets at uh, parent-child relationships being impacted. It gets a quality of firefighter life being impacted. Um, so everybody's got to do everything in their power to help smash the stigma. Make it okay to not be okay. Um, take your role in this very seriously and know this is about saving lives. 
Um, so as a chief, what you can do is authentically get up there in front of everyone and tell them it's okay to not be okay. This is a stressful job here we do. It takes a toll on all of us and it's gonna take a toll on all of us at different times. Different things are gonna get through to me than are gonna get through to you. And we're all pretty good at hiding our emotions here, aren't we? So I might not know when you're in trouble and you might not know when I'm in trouble. Um, so what we all can do though for each other is say, it's okay if you get to that point where you're struggling. You know, this job takes a toll on us. And what's not okay is to suffer in silence and act like there's not a problem because that's, that's where things get worse and worse and worse. And then we don't know when someone's getting into a place where, where they're getting pretty desperate. So everybody needs to understand that this stigma does exist. And every day be thinking about what you can do to, to help dismantle that, attack that, smash that, have no patience for it. Um, one thing that really helps is when you've been through tragedies and traumas yourself in the service and, and who hasn't, right? And you can share those stories with each other and, and talk about authentically how they impacted you, particularly when you're on the other side of it and you've been able to come through those dark times. And that's, that's very moving and powerful, uh, particularly when leaders are able to do that. And it says, hey, it's okay if I'm having a tough time. Um, it's okay uh, to get help and talk about what's going on and, and not sweep it under the rug because, again, that's what makes things very difficult. So the other thing you do is just ensure your fire uh, department has a strong wellness program uh, with help for emotional and behavioral issues such as depression, post-traumatic stress, alcohol problems, family problems, and suicide prevention. Yeah, I want to go back to um, what you said, number two there, to share the success stories is, is how I captured it. How do you, that's kind of the, I've been there, I understand. How do you do that without patronizing the person? Or uh, let, let's, let me rephrase that, without giving the perception that you're patronizing them with, I know what you're going through. That, that could, I could imagine that being a little bit of a sticky uh here, I'm going to show my age. A little bit of a sticky wicket there to uh, to, to tell someone I know what you're going through. Um, can you give any any help there on how someone could navigate that? Yeah, you, you, you're exactly right. You don't want to send the message of I know what you're going through um, because everybody's suffering is different and how they experience it is different. And um, what you want to do if, if someone's expressing that they need help or, or they're struggling to, you want to just be a really, really good listener and have a lot of empathy and hear them out and just be there and be present for them. Uh, no need to rush to share your own stories in that circumstance. Um, but as a leader, in terms of setting the tone in your department, um, people read the air and people get a sense of uh, what's in the lines and what's outside the lines here. Uh, what's the culture of our department? And that's where, as a leader, if you get up there and you just let people know in general, you're, you're not speaking to anyone about their particular situation. You're just saying, hey, me as your leader, I want this to be a department where we're all here to truly support each other through the good times and through the bad times. And the bad times in our service have to do often with all the tragedies and traumas that we encounter. I've dealt with that over my decades of experience personally. And, and if you all don't mind, I'll share with you uh, just a personal story. And that's how you bring that up. And that's what makes it real. It's suddenly like, okay, Chief's not just talking about some abstract idea about it's okay to not be okay. He's actually been through some stuff. And maybe in hearing that, it lets me know, hey, if I'm struggling now, it's actually okay to get help. He's the chief and he's been through this stuff. 
Um, and maybe I'm not struggling now, but maybe five years from now I am. But then I remember that story and, and that message that was sent. And that's very, very powerful. Um, it doesn't even need to take a lot of time. It's one of those things where, where you say it and it, and it sort of, it's an inflection point in, in a culture and it, it changes what's okay and what's not okay from that point going forward. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This is, if a person's coming to you and talking to you about their own personal struggles and their personal story, yeah, what you want to do there is you want to listen, you want to be supportive, you want to empathize and, um, and help guide them towards resources. Yeah, and I think being a good listener is a big, big uh, tool that a lot of people miss. Uh, being able to listen and and give that empathy as opposed to always having to uh, to be the one talking. So it's great advice. Let's uh, switch gears for just a second and talk. You know, our situation that we've been going through since uh, February, pretty much February of uh, 2020, with the COVID situation. Have you seen um, an amplification of mental health issues uh, and those seeking help as a result of the coronavirus? We absolutely have, yes. Um, we know that COVID-19 and the pandemic are taking a significant toll on firefighter health and safety. Um, even, even before the COVID-19 pandemic and the quarantine started to have the impact that it's having now and has for, for months now, um, we were looking at research that had been published in a medical journal earlier this year that talked about the psychological impact of quarantines that have been issued uh, worldwide in response to different pandemics. And that research basically shows that uh, the psychological effects of quarantine are fairly extreme. Uh, people start to drink more, they become more prone to anger. Uh, there's lots of negative psychological effects that cluster uh, very similarly to post-traumatic stress symptoms. Um, and so firefighters, of course, aren't immune to that. They are affected by this as well, uh, but they're even more heavily affected in many ways because they're out there on the front lines, they're often face-to-face. -face. Um, I think a lot of first responders, when they are infected uh, with COVID, um, they get a more intense viral load. And we don't have a, a, enough research uh, to, to talk definitively about what that might look like yet. We think about if you're face-to-face -face with someone in an emergency situation and the personal protective equipment isn't quite up to the job there um, and someone sneezes right in your face, that's very different sort of viral load than if you're you know, walking around in a grocery store and, and get a, a very small viral infection. So. Um, but from a psychological standpoint, we're seeing a, a pretty heavy uptick in increased utilization of emotional and behavioral health resources amongst firefighters who have access to those high quality resources. Um, and not surprisingly, there's a really uh, particularly increased need uh, right now for firefighter family support resources. Um, you think about everybody being quarantined together, uh, schools being shut down, people working from home. Um, the, when, it's a, when it's a good family situation, that's one thing, but when the family was already stressed or strained beforehand or is as a result now of the quarantine, uh, that's where things can really stack up and be more stressful over time. So absolutely, we have seen an amplification in those ways. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, it's likely to run on into 2021 and uh, Lord only knows, knows how long, but uh, I'm sure there's a lot of work still to do to uh, to get people through this, and I appreciate you all having uh, some focus to look look there. Uh, let's talk about for a minute about uh, mindfulness. How can we embrace the concept of mindfulness? 
That's a great question. So um, mindfulness is very often misunderstood. People think of it as a religious term or some sort of Eastern religion practice. Uh, but as far as first responders and firefighters go, mindfulness is a tool that can help to strengthen your mind. Uh, so one way I put it is when you work out, you wouldn't neglect your arms or your legs or your back or your chest, right? You wouldn't go to the gym and just never work out your chest, for example. So why would you neglect your mind? It's arguably the single most important part of your body, so you need to keep it very fit. Um, and mindfulness helps strengthen your attention. It helps sharpen your focus, and it helps you to remain calm and centered in chaotic and stressful situations. Uh, so it makes all the sense in the world uh, for firefighters to practice mindfulness. Can you give some some uh, some some concepts firefighters can use to employ the the concept of mindfulness? Just a, a little bit extra where they could, if they're at the station and they have some extra time, uh, are we talking yoga type of things? Or we, you know, what kind of things can they do to exercise that mind the way that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So yoga is a great way to incorporate mindfulness. And there's a great group we're partnered with called Yoga for First Responders that does a very good job with that. But uh, two very simple things you can do. Uh, first is just breath control. Sometimes this is referred to as box breathing or combat breathing. Uh, but what you do is you just control your rate of inhalation, pause, exhalation, pause. And in traditional box breathing, you exhale all the air out of your lungs. You inhale for a count of three, you pause for a count of three. Um, you exhale for a count of three, and then you pause for a count of three. So what you're doing is you're slowing down your breathing, taking control of it. Um, and what I always advise people to do is you only need to practice that for a few breaths. You don't need to sit there and practice that for 10 minutes. But it's, it's the repetition where you get really comfortable with it. And then what you want to do is it adjust it to your own physiology. We all have different lung capacities, different fitness levels, et cetera. So, for example, some people find that they prefer to slowly inhale to a count of nine, pause for a count of one, exhale slowly to a count of 10, pause for a count of one. And during this process, just becoming aware of your breath and that you can control your breathing. Um, and this helps people to counter that autonomic sympathetic nervous system response uh, that you experience in those fight or flight uh, high stress situations. Uh, and helps you become more mindfully present and just aware of your breathing and the fact that you have control of it. So that that's one, and that, that's probably the most powerful exercise that you could do if you just wanna start uh, practicing mindfulness. And, and once you really start to practice that tactically, that will be something that's there for you uh, to use in any circumstance when you want. Um, so I highly recommend that. The other thing is just grounding yourself and being aware of your physical surroundings. And that's something that people often feel really useful when they start to experience intense negative emotions. Um, let's say, for example, um, you're at the station after a really bad call, you got some emotions running sort of high. Um, what happens is those, those negative intense emotions, they, they pull people inward, um, whether, it's, whether it's anger, whether it's anxiety, whether it's uh, depression or just a general sense of stress, tends to pull people inward deeper and deeper into their own experience uh, as they're trying to sort that stuff out, uh, which sometimes work and sometimes it actually amplifies those negative emotions. So what you could do there is just practice being grounded, aware of the fact that your feet are on the floor, aware of the, the feeling of the chair that you're in. You know, you might rest your hand on a table and feel that sensation of the table. 
Um, focus on any sounds around you. Focus on the visual sensations in front of you. And what you're doing is you're just grounding yourself in your your direct sensory experience. And that's that's one major aspect of mindfulness. It's just being mindfully aware of what's actually physically going on uh, around you and those sensations, those physical sensations that that you're feeling. Um, and as simple as that sounds, that's actually a, a really effective technique for a lot of people when they're experiencing intense psychological distress, that they can ground themselves uh, with that physical focus, uh, that mindful focus on physical sensations, and that can provide a lot of relief. So those are a couple very basic techniques that people can mm -hmm. practice at any time. That's great. And, you know, the combat breathing that you talk about, uh, for those that have been through the, the rescue, our own uh, training, slowing that breathing and being very purposeful of the control of your breath and the control of the air that's left in your bottle. Uh, that is uh, um, what folks probably didn't realize was they were doing is controlling their brain and controlling the psychological effects of that fight or flight syndrome that you talked about. So uh, great, great advice. I appreciate that. And uh, got one more question here for you. Uh, and, it, you know, sounds pretty simple, but if there was one thing you could say to our listeners about improving their mental, emotional, and physical well-being, what would that one thing be? If it's just one thing, I would say focus on what you can control and let go of the rest. Uh, so focus all of your time, all of your attention, and all of your energy on those things that you can positively influence in the world. Um, we have this giant circle of care in the world. These are all the things that we care about. And those include things like politics, and it might include things like the environment. It might include things like uh, the culture within your station or things going on in your community. And then within that, there's this much smaller circle of control. And those are the things that each day through your own actions that you can positively influence. And we only have so much time in life, so many seconds and minutes in every day. And you want to take all of those and invest those in the things that you can directly and positively uh, control and influence. And all those things outside of your control, but within your care, you want to do your best to let those go. Um, and the people that are able to do that successfully through practice over time, uh, they become more resilient. Uh, they experience a greater sense of control in their life. Uh, they find that they're more productive. And if you're able to do that, I think you'll find that you're better equipped to deal with the setbacks and adversities uh, you encounter in your life. Uh, that, that is phenomenally great advice. Um, you said one word in there that I want to key on, and that was politics. You know, when um, you talk about focus on what you can personally control and let go of the rest, we're in a time where, um, uh, you know, I have coined the uh, back away from the keyboard uh, the the uh, BAFTK, back away from the keyboard. Uh, you've seen uh, the uh, SMACs, the Social Media Assisted Career Suicide uh, from uh, Dave Statter and his uh, group. The politics of the country and the politics of society have driven us to a point where we feel like we have to comment. We have to interject. And the reality is in in what you just said, and that is focus on what you can con personally control. And the facts are that you cannot personally control those broader national and international politics. And when we're talking about being able to focus your mind and bring yourself to a point where you can uh, focus on your job, 
those politics aren't part of it. So great advice uh, put in the from a psychological perspective, put in the terms of uh, the BAFTK that I talk about back away from the keyboard and uh, just, you know, focusing on doing the right thing every day. Um, I appreciate you spending time with us today. I want to review some of what you said and that uh, we talked about um, why are firefighters so uncomfortable about asking for help? And you talked about the three things, stress, uh, the stigma, and the availability of high-quality programs. Uh, they're worried about the confidentiality in all of those things, and that creates more, uh, more stress. The reality that you said, though, was that we really, we as leaders, we as uh, leaders in the fire service have control of all three of those things. Uh, we have to make sure that we're doing the right thing, especially in providing those high quality programs and especially in the confidentiality. So that was uh, uh, great stuff there. When we talk about uh, guidance for the supervisors, the the biggest takeaway I had there from you was they need to make it OK to not be OK. Uh, that's uh, that's very similar to uh, the IFC's uh, president's campaign about feeling well uh, that he's had over the past year. It's the same way. Um, here you said, make it okay to not be okay. And uh, then you also said that it was not okay to suffer in silence. We talked about sharing success stories, but more importantly, being a good listener and, and being in a posture where you can support people and empathize with people by being a good listener and then have strong wellness programs uh, to be able to uh, send your folks to. Uh, we talked a little bit about mindfulness and uh, combat breathing that's uh, probably familiar to a lot of our listeners. Combat breathing and then grounding yourself and physically being aware of your surroundings. Those two ways to pra practice mindfulness and to, uh, to bring yourself down, if you will. And then the one thing that you talked about improving uh, mental uh, and emotional and physical well-being for our listeners was to focus on what you can personally control and let go of the rest. I think that speaks volumes for what this edition of uh, Side Alpha Podcast was about today, and I appreciate you being with us. We've been talking with Dr. David Black, the CEO of Cortico, who, as I found out, was inspired uh, to change his psychological focus towards first responders after 9-11. Um, I also want to share that uh, Lexapol's Co-founder uh, Gordon Graham and senior advisor Billy Goldfeder are believers in Cortico and sit on Cortico's advisory board. That should say a lot about the importance of uh, these issues to our listeners. Uh, when a prominent risk manager like Gordon and a high-profile safety advocate like Billy are so focused on this component of firefighter health, it's pretty hard for us not to listen. Um, our listeners can learn more by visiting Cortico.com slash fire. Once again, I appreciate you being with us, Dr. Black. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners for being with us today. Join us next time here on Side Alpha Podcast. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care. <laughs>